Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the Politics Guys interview. Conversations about American politics, economics, history, and culture with authors and researchers from across the ideological spectrum. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My guest today is John Sides, an associate professor of political science at George Washington University. He's the author or co-author of Identity Crisis, The Gamble, a textbook on American campaigns and elections, and many scholarly articles. He's also a founder and the editor-in-chief of the political science blog, The Monkey Cage. Today, I'm talking to him about a report he co-authored for the Democracy Fund Voter Study Group, Muslims in America, Public Perceptions in the Trump Era. John Sides, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. You know, before we get to the report, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about the Democracy Fund Voter Group. It's a fairly new organization, and you're not only involved, you're also, I believe, the group's research director, correct? That's right. Um, the Voter Study Group was created uh, in 2016 um, by the Democracy Fund, which is a, a private philanthropic organization that works to sort of strengthen and support um, democracy in the United States. And the director of the Democracy Fund, Joe Goldman, and uh, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center named Henry Olson um, pulled together a group of people some scholars, political analysts, and others from across the ideological spectrum, because it was clear, at least to them in 2016, that, that American voters were surprising a lot of analysts, including me, and that there was more that we needed to learn. And, and I think that mission um, became more urgent after the election. And so they put together this group of people um, that are, you know, attempts to be diverse with respect to a number of things including political perceptions and views, and, and then um, charged us with finding a way to research the electorate. And we created a survey project, um, the voter study, the views of the electorate research survey, uh, to do that. And I think the, the group is now, um, have, we've just received our third survey, um, and I, I would anticipate that we're going to continue to try to sort of chart the electorate you know, heading into the 2020 election and beyond. Right. And certainly having more data, especially more good data with uh, with quality analysis is something that we could we could definitely use, I would say. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to sort of get into before we get into the meat of this particular uh, report on uh, perception of Muslims in America. There are a couple of things that I always wonder about as, as a social scientist before I get into a survey. Um, you know, when it was conducted and if maybe there was some kind of major event that happened that could skew the results, uh, if it was a random sample of the population, how many respondents there were and the response rate, and also the margin of error, just kind of these basic things so I get a sense of what we're dealing with here. And so I, I was wondering if we could maybe walk through those things briefly before we get to your uh, the findings. Sure. The structure of this survey is more complex than a traditional um, public poll 
it began in 2011, 2012 uh, as a separate project, the Cooperative Campaign Analysis Project, which was headed up by Lynn Vavrick and myself. And uh, this was a survey that was, you know, obviously targeted at the 2012 election uh, and included interviews with um, a large number of respondents in December 2011, about 45,000 people interviewed by the survey firm YouGov. Um, then after the election in 2012, we re-interviewed about 35,000 of those people. And then when the voter study group got started in 2016, we decided that we would go back to these people and interview them again. And that way we could build kind of a longitudinal uh, sense of their political preferences. We could measure whether people change between, let's say, voting for Barack Obama and voting for Donald Trump. And so in the first survey, we interviewed about 8,000 people in December 2016. And then in this survey from that was is the basis for my report. Uh, we interviewed 5,000 people in uh, between July 13th and 24th, 2017. So for this particular survey, it's a sample size of 5,000, uh, which implies a margin of error about plus or minus 3%. And uh, it stems from that July 2017 uh, time period. I don't think anything happened in the middle of the survey field work that would have changed attitudes, but certainly we're looking to understand um, changes in attitudes over a longer time period, certainly between 2016 and 2017, but even stretching back to 2012. Right. Okay. Well, and there are, I think, a number of really interesting findings. Uh, one thing in the survey, you asked respondents to rate uh, Muslims on a, a zero to 100 and a standard favorability scale, along with, there were, I believe, 10 other groups, uh, and I'll just name them briefly for, for listeners, whites, Jews, Asians, Christians, blacks, Hispanics, gays and lesbians, immigrants, evangelical Christians, and feminists. Um, now, when you measured Muslim responses, was that uh, Muslims in general, or does that specifically focus on Muslims in the United States? Um, that question is asking about Muslims in general. Um, Although, I mean, I think that a number of the other categories, like evangelical Christian, Black, uh, Asian, um, Hispanic, you know, these are, are framed in a way, you know, Asian American, Hispanic American, sure. that I think probably cue people to think about gotcha. the context of the United States, but we didn't explicitly make that clear in this particular question, in part because this is the way that this battery of, of questions has been asked in earlier surveys. Right. And that's important. So then what did you find there and, and kind of this overview when you compared Muslims to these other groups in terms of favorability? So the Muslims are um, one of the least popular um, of these groups. So on that zero to 100 scale, uh, where 100 is the most favorable rating and zero is the least favorable rating and 50 is in the middle. The average was a 48, which was about similar to feminists, but lower than all of the other groups. So, for example, the average rating of Christians was 71 and the average rating of Jews was 74. This is a very common finding that, on average, Americans just have cooler feelings towards Muslims as a group than they do towards other kinds of social and religious groups. Right. Now, wasn't it, though, and some people might find this odd, uh, that 
even though that 48 was the lowest in that particular grouping, when you looked at ratings of Republicans and Democrats, and I get this right, they actually rated even lower than that. So Muslims were rated, you know, on an average of 48, Democrats an average of 48, and Republicans an average of 44. Okay. Uh, and in part, that's driven by um, sort of strongly polarized views right. of the political parties. And, and I think in particular, the, the very unfavorable feelings that people have toward the opposite party helps to drag down those averages. So I think our claim is not that Muslims are the most unpopular group in all of America. You can certainly find less popular groups. But it's just to say that relative to sort of groups that we think of as being kind of in a similar social or demographic bucket, Muslims are seen uh, less favorably overall. Right. Now, you also did some comparisons, well, a lot of comparisons, actually, between Muslims and Christians on a bunch of factors. And uh, when I was looking at the results, one key thing was, at least that I thought was important, was the extent to which uh, respondents felt that uh, Muslims and Christians respect American ideals. Uh, and what kind of difference did you find there? Sure. So just a, a bit about the, the way these questions were asked. Um, we gave people in the voter study group data, we asked people, uh, gave them a series of 10 statements, and then asked them, what percentage of Republicans uh, do you think are described by that statement? So, for example, care about their families or contribute to the country's economy, want to fit in and be part of this country, have respect for American ideals and laws, believe in a false religion, are sympathetic to those who commit acts of terrorism, have outdated views of women, have outdated views of gays and lesbians. Um, that's some of the statements that were asked. So you're, you're, you're basically, as a survey respondent, you're, you're telling me, OK, what percentage of Muslims does that statement describe? So it's really right. intended to be a measure that's getting like get, allowing you to basically express in a quantitative sense how much of a stereotype right, you think right. these statements are. And then separately from that, we asked in a different survey conducted in January 2018, the same battery about Christians. So these are two different surveys. It's not the same group of respondents in each survey, but we wanted to have some kind of comparison um, between the Muslims and Christians so we could get a sense of whether the numbers for Muslims were you know, high or low in some sense. So in, in terms of your question, one of the things that we found is that some of the largest differences in people's perceptions of Muslims and Christians had to do with these statements about respecting American ideals uh, or wanting to fit in with the country. So, you know, on average, people thought that about 70% of Christians uh, were described by uh, one of those statements, but only about 50% or slightly above 50% of Muslims were described by those statements. And to me, I mean, one of the things that that reveals about people's perceptions of Muslims is that they see them in some sense as, as significantly different from, I think, kind of American cultural norms or from what their perception of American identity is. Um, and oftentimes our discourse about Muslims in this country revolves around you know, perceptions that they're violent, that they're a terrorism risk. 
But I think this, those two statements in particular get at what may actually be a more prevalent and consequential perception of Muslims, uh, which is just that they're not American in some important way, or at least a substantial number of them are not. Right. Aside from that, were there any other differences that, that you noted that, I don't know, maybe were uh, you didn't expect or that you thought were particularly important? Um, I, I think that the most of the differences that we saw were consistent with what you would expect. Um, people perceived on more, more Muslims on average to be sympathetic to terrorism, um, willing to commit terrorism. They saw you know, Muslims as more likely to believe in a false religion, which probably simply reflects a, a sense that you know, Islam is not, in fact, a, a valid you know, account of God. Um, Muslims were also perceived to have, at a much higher rate, to have outdated views of women, um, although not so much outdated views of gay people. So, and, and that that difference was smaller on average. So, I, in some sense, I felt like these findings were were con- were overall consistent with the idea that, on balance, Christians are viewed more favorably than Muslims. Period. But it also kind of identified, I think, the key dimensions on which people distinguish Muslims from a group like Christians. Right. Now that so far we've just been talking about respondents as a whole, how they re, uh, how they uh, reacted to these things. But when you broke it down by party, what sort of differences did what sort of differences emerged when you compared Republicans and Democrats on these things? Yeah, so there's there's not surprisingly um, pretty substantial differences uh, between how the parties see Muslims Muslim Americans um, and. In the in the t- the direction that you would think, I mean, Democrats on average um, had more favorable views of Muslims. They were more likely to say that positive statements like um, "want to fit in and be part of this country" described a, a larger number of Muslims. So, just to give you an, a couple of statistics, seventy on average, Democrats that thought that seventy one percent of Muslims wanted to fit in and be part of this country, but only but among Republicans, they thought that on average forty one percent of Muslims were described by that statement. So that's a 30-point gap on this crucial sort of dimension of how much do you know, Muslims in this country, many of them already American citizens, actually want to fit in and be part of the country. And, the, and on the statements that were more negative in terms of their valence, like um, sympathetic to those who commit acts of terrorism, on average, Republicans said that statement described you know, significantly more Muslims uh, than Democrats thought. There was really only one were two dimensions where Republicans and Democrats didn't have different views. Um, both both parties thought that uh, a large majority of uh, of Muslims, about two thirds, were deeply religious in their everyday lives, and also uh, sort of an equal. Republicans and Democrats perceived that an equal fraction of Republicans, about fifty-seven to sixty-one percent have outdated views of gays and lesbians. And so that's, there's, and I think that's one perception of Muslims and, and transcends kind of partisan and ideological lines. Um, and, and you, and, and it's interesting because you can sort of wonder if it's motivated somewhat differently. You know, it's consistent with Republicans overall not having very favorable views of Muslims, but it, it also reflects the extent to which um, stereotypes of Muslims you know, raise concerns that would also um, factor into Democrats thinking. Obviously, Democrats themselves tend to have quite favorable views of gays and lesbians. Yeah. 
Well, you know, another way, I guess, of, of looking at it is because, of course, there are splits within the Republican Party. And, you know, uh, during the presidential campaign, of course, uh, Donald Trump famously called for a, a Muslim ban, and it seemed to be very popular with his supporters. But, you know, there were a lot of people in the Republican establishment that were not crazy about this idea, including, as you point out in the report, uh, Vice President. Vice President, well, future Vice President Mike Pence, who uh, tweeted, calls the ban Muslims from entering the U.S. are offensive and unconstitutional. And so uh, I'm wondering, what sort of relationship did you find between specifically support for Donald Trump and views of, of Muslims? One of the great things about the voter study group data is that because we talked to these respondents in December 2011, we have a measure of their views of Muslims, in this case on the sort of basic zero to 100 scale, that predates the campaign by almost five years. So in other analysis for a forthcoming book on the 2016 election, uh, my co-authors and I have looked at views of Muslims, their relationship to support for Trump in the primary and to support for Trump in the general election, and how that differed from the relationship between views of Muslims and, let's say, support for Mitt Romney in the 2012 election. And one of the things that we show is that even after you account for other factors like partisanship or um, self-reported ideology on the liberal conservative spectrum, um, views of Muslims were more strongly related to support for Trump in the primary compared to the Republican primary in 2012. And they were more supportive, strongly related to support for Trump in the general election compared to 2012. And I think the reason for that, we would argue, is that compared to 2012, let's say, um, the, the campaign itself was much more oriented around this debate about how we should, um, as a country, deal with Muslim populations or with potential Muslim immigrants to the country. And it's that debate that you... Uh, referred to with the Mike Pence uh, tweet is a good example of that. So in some sense, this is a very standard story within political science. You know, voters uh, can rely on certain beliefs to choose between candidates, but only after they have information that allows them to see how their beliefs are related to that choice. And I think in 2015, 2016, um, Trump's rhetoric about Islam and rhetoric about Muslims in some sense, activated people's own beliefs and, and views of Muslims and made them more important when it came time to choose a candidate. So, so then it's, it's not so much that the campaign created these things, but they were likely kind of latently there and it was just able to key in on those and, and bring those more to the surface. That's right. I mean, there is, I would think of these of, of sentiments like uh, your perception of Muslims to be kind of a reservoir. And the extent to which those sentiments become politically consequential or politically actionable depends on the choices that candidates, political leaders make. And you know, by saying a series of things that were critical of Muslims, that suggested that Muslims um, in this country needed you know, additional surveillance, maybe even a database of Muslims, or that we needed to have uh, much more stringent policies with regard to Muslim immigrants to this country. I think Trump, you know, made those kinds of considerations more salient to voters. Yeah. 
And I wanted to ask you specifically about one proposal uh, that support for a Muslim ban. I mean, what did you find about how strong this is overall in your research and also how uh, Democrats and Republicans differed in, in their level of support for that sort of thing? Sure. So we asked um, a question, basically, how strongly do you favor or oppose um, temporarily banning Muslims from other countries from entering the United States? And um, we asked that in December 2016 and uh, July 2017. Um, and responses were fairly stable over time. You know, in, in December 2016, um, about 45% favored it. In July, um, that increased slightly to 47%. Um, and a roughly equal number of people are on the other side. So it's a pretty polarizing issue, and unsurprisingly, it's polarizing among Democrats and Republicans. Um, in the July survey, only 20% of Democrats favored uh, a temporary ban on, on Muslims coming to the United States, and 79% of Republicans favored it. So that's a massive gap. Um, and, it, and it illustrates, I think, a couple of things. I mean, one is that Democrats and Republicans, even prior to the election in 2016, were polarizing in their views of Muslims. Um, this is uh, related to a broader polarization of partisan views on different issues. But we found that on whether you're talking about views of African-Americans or views of immigrants and immigration or views of Muslims, the party coalitions were increasingly distinctive in their views. And then I think Trump has only fought further exacerbated or accelerated that kind of partisan polarization. And so any more, I think, policies that have to do or explicitly refer to Muslim populations are going to get pretty strong reactions different reactions from Democrats and Republicans, just because they feel very differently about Muslims right, as a right. group. And, and you also, you mentioned minority groups uh, more in general, and you also looked right at whether or not people's views of Muslims were uh, correlated with their views of other minority groups, which a lot of people might might think would be the case, essentially, people who look like, you know, like white European type descendants, as opposed to people who don't look that way. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about what, what specifically you found there? Sure. So take those same, you know, zero to 100 ratings of all of these different groups. We, uh, we asked those in, in this July survey and, you know, views of Muslims, whether favorable or unfavorable, kind of go along with or are connected to views of what kinds of other groups. So what we found is that it, you know, your view of Muslims was correlated with your view of gays and lesbians, your views of racial minority groups like blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. Uh, it was modestly related to your view of Jews, so that the, the warmer you saw Jews, the more warmly you saw Muslims. Uh, but it was negatively related to your view of Christians, for example. Right. So in some sense, I think what this tells us is that people's attitudes about social groups are packaged together in fairly predictable and consistent ways. Um, if, you, if you tend to feel favorably about one religious or racial or ethnic minority group, you tend to feel favorably about other ones. If you tend to feel less favorably about those groups, you're going to feel more favorably about majority groups like whites or Christians. So that's that's what we found. And then, again, it's consistent with other kinds of social science research, which has found a substantial degree of consistency 
in people's views of different kinds of groups. Right. And most people uh, are under the impression that this tracks with uh, party affiliation as well, with with Democrats having typically more favorable views and Dem- and Republicans having less favorable views. That's right. I mean, the exceptions to that pattern would be a group like evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. um, you know, which because of, I think, the political connotation of that term elicits the opposite, you know, or Republicans see them more favorably than Democrats do. I'm wondering if we, if it's important, you think, to make a distinction between favorability, which is specifically what you asked about, and another concept that's sometimes used, a tolerance or, or intolerance. And so, you know, some people might hear this and say, well, this is proof that Republicans are less tolerant or more intolerant, however they want to, you know, spin it, essentially. I mean, do you feel like those terms are okay to be used more or less interchangeably or not so much? I mean, I, to me, I think um, I prefer to be more careful and specific with regard to this sort of terminology. Um, when, I, when, when the political science literature has looked at the question of political tolerance, it's oftentimes been measured in terms of um, what kinds of political action or expression by a particular group are you willing to allow? So in some sense, you're not tolerating a group and you're tolerating the actions of a group. So from a simple kind of civil liberties perspective, First Amendment perspective, we're asked um, to allow groups to speak um, even when we find that speech to be wrong or objectionable. And of course, there's a few, you know, somewhat limited cases in which the court has ruled that speech can be disallowed. But for the most part, we tolerance calls upon us to allow that to happen. So I, I think if I were going to look at tolerance, I would I'd be interested in asking a different set of right. questions, which we have in this to some extent in this survey, which gets at sort of the civil liberties of Muslims, yeah. for example. In a sense, that tolerance has to relate to some sort of tolerance of, of what exactly? Saying tolerance yeah. in general is kind of a meaningless sort of concept. Yeah, I, I, it's not the one I would apply to, the, to the, the, the data that we've measured that we've discussed thus far. I mean, the, the questions that we asked about political policies might get more at it. So just to and talk about that, we've talked already about the travel ban. But that's mostly about sort of policy toward Muslims trying to immigrate to this country or to travel to this country. The, the questions that we asked that were really more about the domestic um, rights of Muslims already living in this country, many of whom are citizens of this country. So we asked uh, about whether there should be increased surveillance of mosques or other places where Muslims congregate. We asked whether Muslims um, can be, could be targeted at U.S. airports to ensure the safety of flights. And we also asked, and this is, of course, quite significant measure, but we asked whether you could deny Muslims who are U.S. citizens the right to vote. And, you know, the surveillance kinds of uh, policies, um, you know, were a little bit more popular than unpopular. About 55 percent said that we should surveil mosques. Um, about 52% said we should target Muslims at airport screenings, but a large percentage of people were opposed to those things. And of course, it breaks down strongly along party lines. 
Um, about 16% of the respondents said that, that they would strongly or somewhat agree that we can deny Muslims who are U.S. citizens the right to vote. Wow. And that's a very, very like um, extraordinarily draconian policy. And the fact that it's supported by 16%, right, compared to 55% just shows that most Americans are not so intolerant of Muslims having the right to political expression in elections that they're going to deny them the right to vote. Although, of course, for some people, even 16% seems like a number that's higher than, than we would like. Yeah. So I, and to me, if in thinking about tolerance in terms of whether or not we're going to impose sort of additional restrictions on the civil liberties of Muslims, what these data suggest to me is that at least in terms of certain kinds of measures, uh, a substantial fraction of Americans, maybe even narrow majorities, will endorse those kinds of things. But if it comes to something as as uh, as extreme as as kind of outright disenfranchisement of people who are otherwise eligible to vote, you know, fewer people are willing to go. There. And I'm guessing on that because that sixteen percent, even to me, it's not, it seems like it's uh, about sixteen percent too much. But uh, that I would expect breaks down also very differently by political party affiliation. Yeah, I mean, among Republicans, twenty one percent. We're willing to endorse that compared to 12% of Democrats. So, you know, it's not a massive gap sure. in part because it's so it's so unpopular overall. Um, but it's it is at least somewhat related to the same kinds of attitudes which 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 are related to views of Muslims more generally. Yeah. Now, my sense has always been that people who are more highly educated are likely to be less uh, to have have less of an anti-Muslim bias. Uh, was that was that what you found? Yeah, they were. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we compared educational categories, you know, from lacking a high school degree all the way up to people who had had some kind of postgraduate training after college. And yeah, there's substantial differences there. Not so much in their views of Christians, actually, uh, but definitely in their views of Muslims. And this, of course, is related to um, a, a massive amount of research that finds that in general, views of um, racial and ethnic minority groups are uh, more favorable among people with more education than with less education. Now, one really interesting thing I think that you did in the study was of you compared uh, Americans' views of, of Muslims with actually with, with Muslim Americans' own views about themselves. And it was uh, you used uh, a Pew Research Center survey that was done not too long before yours, which, which was I know, fascinating to me. Can you talk a little bit about what you found when you did that? Sure. I mean, I think so. We've got a great opportunity here to do some some comparisons because we we explicitly ask people what percentage of Muslims are described by this statement. And then we can go and look at surveys of Muslims living in the United States and say, OK, what percentage of Muslims actually think that? And it, the differences were extraordinary. Um, so even though um, people thought that, you know, uh, on average, uh, approximately, um, you know, forty percent of Muslims were sympathetic to terrorism. When you ask Muslims themselves, seventy-six um, percent said that targeting and killing civilians can never be justified. And in fact, that percentage among Muslim Americans was higher than among the general public as a whole. Oh wow! Yeah. So you can, and again, there's so many um, other data points that kind of contradict. Uh, 
Americans, perceptions of Muslim Americans. The vast majority of Muslim Americans express patriotic views. They said they're proud to be American. They identified strongly with being an American. Muslims were no different than Protestants or Catholics in this regard. Um, you know, people expressed the view that Muslims had outdated, many Muslims had outdated views of gays and lesbians. Um, but in fact, you know, a majority of Muslim Americans say that homosexuality should be accepted. Um, the views of Muslims, again, here are only slightly different than views of Christians. Um, so the same thing is true in terms of views of women. 72% of Muslims said that women should be able to work outside the home, um, which is all, just only slightly lower than the U.S. public as a whole. So, you know, in some sense, I think that what's happened is that Americans' perceptions of Muslims, um, you know, have just developed in isolation from the actual lived experiences and attitudes of Muslim Americans themselves. And when you put the two side by side, it, you know, it's, it's quite striking just how much Americans perceive Muslims differently than Muslims describe themselves. Yeah. And, and I guess this would go a little bit beyond the scope of what you asked, but, but it, it would seem to me that that might be because for many Americans, their only real contact with, with Muslims is through the media and stereotypes and so forth, as opposed to actually knowing somebody who you know happens to be Muslim. And I would expect that might have a that might have a you know significant uh, influence on those attitudes. Yeah, there's a um, there are a number of studies of, of portrayals of Muslims in Western media. American and European media, including both news media, but also popular culture, entertainment, film, and stuff like that. And in general, that research finds, um, you know, a lot of portrayals that are negative on balance, you know, whether they're being portrayed as terrorists um, or whether they're being portrayed as, as sort of devious or untrustworthy. You know, there's just not really a, a robust alternative image of Muslims that reaches large numbers of people on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think the I think the point about not pe people not knowing Muslims is also relevant here. Um you know, it's a small group within the United States. Um you know, you have to sort of go out of your way, you know, to find them at least in many communities. So I feel like there's just not a model where um that would present a different picture of Muslims. The, the one other interesting maybe point of comparison would be public views of gays and lesbians, which have grown much more favorable over time. And you know, explaining why that's the case is is not easy. It's you know, it's complex. But I think we would certainly pinpoint the fact that there were prominent gays and lesbians that came forward, identified themselves as such. Ellen DeGeneres is a name that gets thrown around when she came out, which I believe was in the the mid 1990s and then in addition to that not only do you have these high profile celebrities identifying as gay or lesbian but you also you know increasing have had um people come out you know ordinary citizens who then become known to their families or their co-workers right. as gay or lesbian and so this is the classic story of you you didn't know your uncle was gay <laughs> but then you know all of a sudden he told you so i it, that's probably helped i think people see gays and lesbians in a different right different light, excuse me. I don't think that there's a comparable thing going on either with Muslims in the news media or entertainment media or with Muslims in, in terms of who people see or know in their daily life. Yeah. Do you think that that, that the media really kind of helps to 
by by what they do kind of bolster this sort of anti-Muslim stereotypes and, and bias and, and so forth? I mean, is this like a an actively, I don't know, I guess I'd call it maybe a destructive thing or at least misinforming people? I mean, I don't think there's any, obviously, intentional effort to misinform people at all. I do think that the, the values that drive what people see uh, as good news stories, both inside newsrooms and, frankly, for the consumers of news themselves, those stories often have to do with conflict, violence, crime. Um, so I just feel like, in some sense, because, um, you know, sort of Is- Islamic extremists for decades now have carried out violent acts, um, you know, the sheer fact that the news prioritizes violence as something rele- relevant um, means that for the most part, you're going to see Muslims in the context of that violence. Yeah. And, you know, the, the vast majority of Muslims who don't support that kind of violence or who live otherwise ordinary and peaceful lives, um, you know, that's just not a newsworthy story for the most part. No, no. So it's just hard. It's been hard for an for an alternative to really to really come out. I mean, I I talked to another scholar of popular culture about this report the other day, and she was started. To, you know, she started to name comedians who come from sort of Muslim backgrounds, um, like Aziz Ansari. You know, and those are absolutely somewhat different kind of exemplars, but they're also, I think, not widely known enough to really be um, right. something can change attitudes on a mass scale. And I would, I would think in some instances, there, there are people who are, uh, in a sense, kind of preaching to the choir, the, the audience that maybe may be harboring more of these misinformed attitudes. That's the audience that's not hearing from, you know, from, from folks like that, entertainers, people in popular culture like that, perhaps as much in the first place. Yeah, I think that's right. You need, you need something that's not just, uh, you know, your typical Hollywood, you know, actor talking to liberal Americans. Um, the, the, the interesting thing, though, about public views of Muslims is that at least in the last few years, um, they have gotten more favorable overall, particularly among Democrats. And that largely seems to be a reaction to Trump himself. So I mentioned this earlier when I said that Trump seems to have, you know, sort of exacerbated this um, shift whereby Democrats and Republicans increasingly have different views about Muslims. The, the aggregate effect of that is is to make public opinion as a whole more favorable of Muslims. Hmm. So in some sense, you know, <laughs> ironically, yeah. one of the change agents here might be the president himself. Um, but I think the the problem with that shift in public opinion is it's again largely by along partisan lines and so it's not really building a more broad based um degree of of favorability toward muslims which is different again than the pattern that you see for gays and lesbians if you were to you know chart let's say support for same-sex marriage over time you know, obviously, it's lower among some groups and higher among other groups, but the trends are all in the same direction right. uh, for young and for old, for less educated, more educated people of different religious backgrounds, partisanship. But among Muslims, yeah, we're still for Muslims. Yeah, we're still waiting to see um, a, sh- a public opinion shift that is is more broadly based and not just located among groups that are, in this case, you know, strongly opposed to the president. Right. 
So kind of pulling back and looking at all of this, uh, do you think it would be fair or, or not unreasonable to conclude that there is a, you know, a, a fair amount of, uh, I guess you, some people would call it anti-Muslim uh, racism in the United States, or is that, is that going too far, would you say? I mean, I, I don't know about racism. I mean, I, um, in part because we're not talking about race per se, but sure. I, I think it's reasonable to call it prejudice okay. in, the, in the literal sense that people have prejudged Muslims, you know, prejudged in the sense that they have, cre- they have a view of them that is not really based on sort of ex- extensive experience with or familiarity with either Islam as a religion or with individual Muslim people themselves. Um, it's really based on a set of images and and stereotypes which are present in culture and and the news media. So, I think that's true, uh, and I think frankly it's it's a it's a pretty significant challenge um, for this country, and much as it's been in Europe, um, because you're dealing with people who um, are different in. A variety of ways simultaneously, you know, compare them to say immigrants from Mexico. Right? So immigrants from Mexico oftentimes perceived as different because of their nationality, um, because maybe they they don't look ethnically or racially white, because they speak a different language. Um, many of those things are also true of Muslims, but you layer on that, you know, this religious difference, which is. Um, which which sets Muslims apart from the dominant majority religious tradition of this country, dating back to the founding. So I think that's another dimension on which it becomes um, that makes it difficult for Americans to see Muslims as sort of kindred, even when Muslims themselves express beliefs and values which are similar to those of most other Americans. So for this reason, I think the, the, the overall integration of Muslim Americans into American political and social life is, a, is much more of a long-term project. So let me ask you about that, that long-term project. Uh, you know, say you were, because uh, I'm curious about, well, what can we, what can, how can we use this information to, well, make things better, in my view, at least. And so, you know, let's say you're, you're advising somebody who, wants to make this happen, a a Nancy Pelosi, a Chuck Schumer, someone, you know, what can we do specifically? Is there anything we can do based on this? Uh, What what would you tell them? Well, I would, I would, I wouldn't tell Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer to do anything. (laughs) I think because in some sense, they're just going to make it worse (laughs) by virtue of being democratic political leaders. Sure. Okay. Uh, I I think that I would, I would think that it, it would be more relevant to ask Republican political leaders um, to make statements that don't target Muslims or single them out or portray them as distinctively threatening, or moreover, that, that, to, that would portray Muslims or acknowledge the, re- the reality that Muslims living in the United States are themselves, you know, truly part of America. And I, I mean, to, you, you mentioned the Mike Pence tweet. I mean, that was one of just many, many statements that were made by prominent Republicans in the fall of 2015 when Trump was hazarding, you know, sort of policy proposals like a database of Muslims and a travel ban. And in the report, we also quote from, you know, the speech that George W. Bush gave 
after the September 11th attacks. He spoke at the Islamic Center in, in Washington and, and, and really made a very clear differentiation between, you know, the small number of people who are willing to attack and kill innocent civilians in the name of Islam and, and the millions of Muslims who are, you know, making a valuable contribution to the country because they're doctors, they're lawyers, and they're members of the military and so forth. I'm sort of paraphrasing his statement. And so I really felt like, you know, that kind of view was the view that we need to hear more of from political leaders. Um, and and that, if, if, if that were a more prominent message, particularly coming from, from leading Republicans, uh, I'd like to think that over time that could have some impact. Uh, but I, I'm not overly hopeful that, that this is going to happen easily or quickly. But I feel like that would be one place to start. Um, political leaders themselves, you know, are not necessarily going to be able to create wholesale cultural change, but they can certainly escalate or de-escalate the politics surround a group like Muslims. And we've had a lot of escalation. And I think we need some de-escalation. And that would be a, a, accompanied by a portrait of Muslims that's actually more reflective of who they are. And that over time, that might start to create some hydraulics that would, would shift public opinion in a broad-based way towards um, a more accurate view of Muslim populations. But it, again, it's a long-term project. Yeah, well, it is, I think, a long-term project well worth uh, undertaking. And I, I do hope we, we get there at some point. Uh, well, with that, we will close. John Side, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Support from listeners just like you is what keeps the show going, and we truly do appreciate it. If you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon or PayPal links you'll see there. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast app you use. Share this episode with your friends and followers, and pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also helps. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or just a random thought you want to share with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page, where you can message us and where we post things throughout the week, is facebook.com slash page. We're also on Twitter, at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.